You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, great to have you here. Welcome to the Shore Church once again. Uh, Why don't we rise? We're into the book of Hebrews, ending chapter 3 this morning. So please rise if you are able. We're going to read through chapter 3, 7 through 19. Power powerful text of scripture. If you've pre-read this, which I encourage you to do, I think next week's text already is in your bulletin, uh, but uh, as you pre-read this, um, if some of you have, it is, a, it is a tough one. Is it a tough one? So welcome if you're new here to the shore, but let's read it uh, together. This is, um, again, our encouragement and our exhortation. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of God. Let's uh, remain standing. Let's pray again and come before him. Uh, Jesus, we come before you humbly, knowing that you have done everything and we've done nothing but rebel against you. And so Jesus, help us see that more clearly today. Help us recognize that we do have a heart that so easily goes back to our fleshy nature, goes back to sin, goes back to rebellion, goes towards something that we feel comfort in, but that is not you. And so help us open our eyes and our minds to what is being said here. And let us hear, as I've prayed for the kids, let us hear what you have to say and let us believe in it. So please change our hearts, transform us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can grab a seat, grab a seat. Let's quickly recap. So just as a reminder, and I mean quickly recap, Uh, So chapter 1, if you're new here, we're going through the book of Hebrews. But chapter 1 is all about Jesus' supremacy. It actually ends, chapter 1, verse 14, it ends with Jesus. Jesus literally, is everything is under his feet. He's he's resting. Everything is subject to him. And we see that again in verse 9 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, though, starts with our first exhortation, our first encouragement to pay attention. I do this because this is sign language for pay attention. 
pay attention. And we do this to L all the time, right? L, pay attention. All right? So pay attention lest you, or pay attention to what you've heard lest you drift away, right? That was their first exhortation in chapter 2, verse 1. And then it continues on from basically from verse 9 all the way to the end of this amazing gospel presentation. Remember, I drew this thing out. Well, we had the kids in the gathering at that time. We drew it out. And the kids, they learned seeing the gospel and the timeline of what was going on. And, and Jesus entered into the realm of death for us, paying our penalty for us, undergirding us in the midst of temptation. Like it was a, this is such a sweet text of Scripture. And then in chapter 3, last week, we started off verses 1 through 6. And it was all about Jesus' faithfulness. And then another encouragement that we would hold our confidence and our boasting and our hope in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Well, today is a continuation of that. Remember, all this just flows together, so we can't forget. I'm recapping because we can't forget what we've already heard. And we need to pay attention to it. And today, the outline for us is, as I've prayed to the kids and I've prayed for us, that we would hear and believe that we'd hear and believe. And the points that I want to cover, you can see on the screen there, is past exhortation, future exhortation, and present exhortation. You can see the scripture that I've taken over there. Essentially, this could be three sermons, but I'm tying all three of these potential sermons together to one because all of them are tied to hear and believe. Hear and believe, and we can't miss that. And what better command could there be, really, right? Of a loving God, like we heard about in chapter 2. A loving Savior who came in as flesh and blood, became man so that he could pay for our sin. And a loving command to hear and believe. Like that's the most loving thing to do for us. For God will not forsake us. He will not lead us astray. But will speak faithfully and show you his power and his attributes Daily. Friends, we have absolutely no excuse to rebel. And in this text that we're going to see, rebel or test the Lord. We really have no excuse for it. So let's look at this first point, past exhortation. We're going to read through verse 7 through 11 again. If you have a Bible, be good to take a look at it on your own. And just to see what we can uh, glean from this. But this, is, this opening line here is something that you rarely see in the scripture. Oftentimes you see the Lord says, God says, Jesus says. This is a rarity here. Where it says, therefore as the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says. Anytime the Holy Spirit is speaking is directly to the heart. Directly to the heart. And this is, this is again right to the heart, and you see heart multiple times in this, and this is what the Lord, the Holy Spirit, God is saying. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart, They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That is a sobering statement. But again, I just want to point out to us that that there are any transition words there, and that's that therefore. 
And it points back again to verse, I think, just verse 6, just one verse, verse earlier. earlier. To Jesus' faithfulness. See, it's talking about rebellion, rebellion from the heart level. And it's pointing us back to Jesus' faithfulness. In verse 6 it says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence, our boasting, and our hope in Christ. That's what, we, that's what this is. Therefore, and then we have our text. See, I say this is a past exhortation because the author is making our lack of confidence, our lack of, of boasting, our lack of hope equal to that of the Israelites as they walk through the desert with Moses. Now, maybe some of you are incredibly new to the faith, and I know that some of you are. And so I want to keep us on the same page as much as I can, but in the second book uh, of the Bible, it's called Exodus. We have the first book is Genesis, the book of beginnings, and then the book of Exodus, which is the exodus out of Egypt for these Israelite people. Uh, people, the Israelite nation, out of the slavery of Egypt that they were held in for 430 years. And so it's quite a story. As you read through Genesis, you'll get at the end of that, they enter into this land, Egypt, and they're blessed. And then they walk through many, many years, and a new Pharaoh comes in and forgets the people. And he begins to enslave them. And that's, what we, that's how Exodus begins. But this past exhortation is when they were freed from this slavery and now they're walking through the desert with their leader Moses, hearing from the Lord. And then this rebellion is exactly this, this lack of confidence, lack of boasting, and lack of hope. And you can see this in verse 8 where it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And so as I said, the rebellion and day of testing in the wilderness takes us back to to those days of Moses. And the majority of our text actually comes from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. When I've got my Bible flipped to that, I I put verses 1 through 6 on the screen for you. But if you want to turn to Psalm 95, 7 through 11 is pretty much what we see in Hebrews 3. It's almost verbatim. All right, the, the author is pointing us back to some time here. And so it's really important to see the connecting points here that he's saying, you're rebelling, your hard-heartedness is no different from those Israelites in the desert of, with Moses. But it's important to see this. Verses 1 through 6 of, of Psalm 95. This is how it starts. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand, think about this, in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The psalmist, as well as the author of Hebrews, is trying to point us back to chapter 1 of Hebrews. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. That he is over all things. That he is the one to be worshipped. And yet there's a turn here. There's a rebellion. In verse 7 and 8, 
for of Psalm 95, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Remember his voice, the one who we just talked about, the one who owns all things. Do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Now, that's a hint to us of something that took place in the desert. If you look up Meribah and Massa, Meribah is this rebellion, this testing of the Lord. And Massa is, is, is also this, this testing. So the, this testing and rebellion, this is referring back to something that took place early in the journey, and then 40 years later in the desert, again, it, it, it happens again. And I want to point these things out to us. If you turn in your Bibles, and you, I don't have it on the screen, but if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, and you can listen on. I'll just read it quickly because it's really important to understand this context of what our passage of Hebrews 3 is talking about. So the author of Hebrews is pointing us back to this story, this rebellion that took place in the desert to a holy God. In Exodus chapter 17, I'll read from 2 on to 7. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? A quarreling and a testing. And this is what we do constantly. And then again, 40 years, and I just wanted to point out in Exodus 17, the beginning of the story, God commands Moses to strike the rock. Turn to Numbers 20. This is 40 years later. 40 years of traveling in the desert. Numbers chapter uh, 20, verses, right from verse 1 all the way through 13. We're just going to read, I'm just going to point out something here really quickly. Again, there's grumbling. They're almost saying the words uh, over again. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? We see in verse 5. Skipping to verse 8 of chapter 20 of Numbers, it says, God says to Moses and Aaron now, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And then skipping down to verse 11, in between there, Moses is ticked at this people. 40, and man, do we blame them? 40 years of grumbling and complaining. And in verse 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand 
and not told, didn't tell the rock. But he lifted up his hand and struck the rock in anger twice. And out of that, Mo- Moses now is rebuked by God. You did not believe me. These are the words he says in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Quarreling and rebellion, even to the point of Moses, their leader, the one who last week we learned saw Jesus, saw God, the Father, face to face, spoke to him, saw his form. Like no other prophet. And still he rebelled against the Lord's words, putting trust in himself, putting a higher calling on his thoughts over God's, and rebelled against the Almighty. See, in our text again, the reminder for the, from past exhortation is that rebellion is at the level of the heart. Going back into Hebrews 3 now. Rebellion is at the level of the heart. And it reveals that you don't actually know the Lord. And I want to explain that statement. See, when we sin, sin is a missing of the mark. Right? It's a missing of the mark. But I want you to consider now, deep in your heart, in that moment where you sin, do you think of the Lord? And if you do, because I've been here, I've thought of the Lord, and I've suppressed it, and I continued on in my sin. I don't know if you can say the same thing. I'm assuming you can. Deep in your heart, you know that God is God but yet you continue to suppress that truth in your heart at a heart level and continue on in your sin. Friends, the the author of Hebrews 3 is trying to awaken us to our depravity, pointing us back to the beauty of Jesus Christ, to the beauty of His grace and His mercy that we all need. See, rebellion at the heart level reveals that you don't actually know the Lord. That you lessen His holiness. That you lessen His holiness. That you begin to believe that rebellion isn't that bad. And you increase your wants, your desires, your felt needs over God's call in your life. See, we're called to faithfulness. Just like in chapter, the beginning of chapter 3, we're called to faithfulness. We are called to put our full confidence, our full confidence. So whatever we believe and trust in, in that moment when temptation is coming, to put our full confidence in the Lord. Unlike Moses, in that moment, serving the Lord faithfully for 40 years in the desert and still that one break in that moment and he smacks the rock instead of believing what God has in store for him in that day. See, we're called to faithfulness. We're called to confidence, boasting, and hope in the Lord for our salvation, for our moving forward one step at a time. See, we're called to look to remember the supremacy of Jesus and his loving sacrifice for us, not to ignore it or drift away from it. We're called to pay attention. 
See, the sobering statement in this exhortation is when you choose to suppress the truth, and I'm not sure if you heard it on that first read, but when you choose to suppress the truth, when you choose to not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the sobering statement is that we, you will not enter the rest of God. One author put it this way. It's on the screen. It says this, Such turning away incurs a huge penalty because Christ is greater than Moses. The loss incurred in rejecting Christ is greater than the loss in rejecting Moses. The rebels in Moses' day missed the promised blessing of entry into earthly Canaan. But rebellion against Christ forfeits the even greater blessings of eternal life. See, to turn away from the living God is a huge mistake. For as in Hebrews, we're going to see in chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is a sobering text. It's a sobering text. And if you're new here, welcome. But man, this is a tough one. It does not hold back. This author does not hold back. Do not be like those rebellious in the desert who rebelled against the Lord and did not enter His rest. This past exhortation can be summed up into three words. Hear it, hear, and believe. I almost added another word there. Hear and believe. Let's look at the future exhortation, 15 through 19. So we're going to skip ahead to the end of the chapter. It says this, As it is said today, Another timestamp here. Today, if you hear His voice, the, Ho- the Holy Spirit speaking deep into your heart, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For you were those who heard and yet rebelled. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. So I named this a future exhortation because the author is pointing towards the final reward of the promised land. He's pointing ahead. In Moses' day, the reward was a shadow of what was to come for God's faithful. The promised land filled with milk and honey, right? That might not sound super pleasing to you, milk and honey, especially if you are dairy-free, right? Or it might be a little bit sticky land. But that milk and honey reference is essentially this, this, this land is going to be so incredibly fruitful. It's going to be so good. And this exhortation is given to us by way of six questions. Essentially, three questions and then three answer questions. All right? You can see it in the text there. And then we'll finalize it with a final statement. So let's take a verse by verse for us so we, we don't miss anything. All right? You guys with me? All right? So verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? Now, this is the original group. This is the original group. Remember, 430 years of slavery... And if you're new to this story, uh, a good movie to watch would be that, Dis- I think, it, no, what is it? I can't remember who made it, but Pr- Prince of Egypt, 
All right, you guys remember this one? Back, Elle's favorite movie right now. But Prince of Egypt, such a great movie. Not entirely aligned with the story of Scripture, but very close. Uh, very close. We see it. It's a good, gives, you, gives you a good idea, the power of God. And it takes you through the ten plagues. And man, it's a, it's a good reminder through this amazing story. But what these people saw, this original group saw, they were freed miraculously. No power on their end. They were enslaved. And we don't fully grasp that, but they could not do anything on their own without having permission. And oftentimes it was, they had to produce bricks. They had to produce uh, a quota that was almost impossible, if not impossible to, to meet. But they saw the miracles of God. They saw the miracles of God after calling out to him. And you have to ask the question, how could these have rebelled and tested God after seeing the miraculous? Especially the parted Red Sea and walking through on dry ground and then God taking away all their enemies, giving them complete freedom, redeeming them completely. But these are the, the apostate. We're going to learn that word. Apostate is knowing the truth and yet denying it. Knowing the truth and denying it. These are the apostate. They knew the truth and yet still denied it. Those that have seen and heard and tasted the glory of God and then suppress the tangible truths of Jesus and deny him. And then fast forward a thousand years. Now you got Jesus walking on this earth. Now these are the people. These are the Pharisees essentially studying the scriptures, studying the Old Testament, walking through these things, and then seeing Jesus and then proclaiming the miracles that he's doing as is he must be filled with Satan. The, the apostate. There's, they're seeing these massive, miraculous events and then giving credit to Satan. And then fast forward another 2,000 years. These are those today that have experienced Jesus emotionally, maybe even intellectually, but yet have not confessed him as Lord of their life. And I want to give you an example of this. Maybe this will help stick. But that intellectual, that emotional feeling, and then the action of a will. Incredibly important. And the biggest example that I can give you is marriage. Is marriage. I fell in love with Jody 30-some years ago. And I still love her to this day. More so. Because I know her more. That was an emotional feeling for me. Emotions were all over the place for us. I loved her deeply from my heart. And I still do. And I also knew her intellectually. I had this amazing emotional feeling to be with her. I, I drove for hours to be with her. And I also knew her intellectually. But it wasn't until the act of the will when I said, I want to be with you, to covenant in marriage with you, and I want us to be one. See, I could know her. I could have an emotional feeling with her. But until I acted on the will and confessed, I do, we were not yet one. The same goes with your faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of people in the desert and also today understand in some way or fashion, understand intellectually who God is. They have sometimes an emotional feeling of who God is, but they've yet to act on the will and confess him as their Lord and Savior. 
That's those people. That's the people in the, in the desert. That's the people now 2,000 plus years ago that still are around today. This is verse 16. Look at verse 17. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? So these are again the same group, hearts more revealed now after 40 years of grumbling and complaining. These were enlightened by the pillar of fire. They, they literally glowed during the night because this pillar of fire that they followed through the desert night and they still suppressed the truth that there was a God. I can't imagine, I can't fathom that. Seeing a pillar of fire through the night and going, I don't know if there's a God that's looking after us. Waking up the next morning, seeing manna on the ground, eating that manna over breakfast and lunch and dinner, going, I'm not sure if there's a Lord. I think I'm going to carve out and whittle this stick and make a new God. It's insane when we think about it and look back, but isn't it mo- as, as equally insane when we see a burning sun come up twenty-four hour, every 24, 12 hours or whatever it is? continue to rotate, have the moon come up, have the stars, have the, have the trees and the ocean, not crashing past the way, but even in the book of Job, it says, I declared where the waves would stop on the beach. It's, like, it's, it's, it's insane to look at our lives and not realize that there's intellectually something far greater. See, they were fed by manna, they ate quail, and they drank from a rock, but still longing for something else, ignoring that every need is being met in God. They ignored it. Their outcome was to be buried in the wilderness. They were called to be a chosen people, yet they chose to die in the wilderness, to be lost forever. Look at verse 18. It says, and to him whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? There's the question. But to those who were disobedient, there's the answer question. The Lord is faithful in all things here, even in his warnings. And please hear me on this. Every promise that the Lord makes in the scripture has come true and will continue to come true. Every promise. There's not one that, that, he, that we can say, well, you didn't make this one. Every covenant of God has come true and then there's still more to come. So we must take warning and heed the warnings when he promises something, when he proclaims something. See, God tells us clearly what will happen if we deny him. He has been doing that since Genesis chapter one. He's always been telling us what will happen if you disobey him. So really, No one has an excuse. And I urge you, if you have not yet believed upon Jesus for salvation, take this time to look back at our history of this world and learn from those before us. See, we have an enemy that is trying to erase history for this very reason, that we might not be able to look back on it and see our mistakes, that we might just continue and repeat. And we still do, even though without an enemy there 
for us, but we need to look back on our history, look back in the Psalms, look back in the Old Testament. We see the chronicles of these kings and judges and the people of God continually in rebellion. See, God will fulfill His promises. And to those of us that continue to seek the flesh, I'm with you. It's time to stop. It's time to stop. Let's put it behind us with the strength that we learned about two weeks ago of Jesus Christ, that he is there with you, that he is there to undergird you, that he is there, he has gone through all of this hardship and turmoil and temptation that he might resonate with you and call you a brother. So it's time to live differently for the king of kings. Verse 19 is our final statement here and here. It says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That unbelief is a key word there. See, our final reward is to be in the presence of Jesus, the eternal king, the final and lasting rest. That is the goal. And to enter that rest is to hear his warning and believe it. It ties in again to our theme here. If there's anything that you take away from today, hear and believe. Just remember three words. Hear and believe. Hear the word of God. Pay attention to what you've heard and do not drift from it. Believe it and follow it. Let's uh, look at the last one here. Present exhortation. We'll close with this. Verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So just to highlight before we tackle this last section is the Lord is, is and always has challenged at the heart level. This whole section in chapter 3 is coming towards the heart is our confidence, is our boasting, is our hope all coming from within. And so this is where the highlight is and even in verse 7 where we see the Holy Spirit is speaking into the heart. So let's again take this section verse by verse. So look at verse 12. I've called this be aware. Okay, be aware. We're going to have be aware, be accountable, and be in awe. All right, for these next, if you're loving, taking notes. Three sub points of this present exhortation. So verse 12, I've called, be aware. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil. And you could read, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So again, beware of any evil in you. And unfortunately, we have a lot of times where in our culture, and I've heard it more and more uh, seeping into the church, that we are not called to look back in our sin, in, our, in our, the temptations that we face. Let's not talk about those. Let's just talk about the things of who we are now. And I would go, yes, I agree, but there's, there's so many verses that are calling us to examine and to look at our own hearts and to, to see the sinful nature of our own soul that we might actually make God bigger. And let me give you an example. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And the test is like, have, do you intellectually know what Jesus has done for you? 
Do you emotionally have this love and a deep love and compassion for him? And have you, like Romans 10, 9 and 10, have you confessed with your mouth and believed upon your heart uh, that Jesus is who he says he is and that God raised him from the dead? See, this is the calling to confession. This is a calling to each one of us to do some digging in our hearts. This verse calls out evil, but also our unbelieving hearts. And the unbelieving hearts, like what is this? What does this unbelieving heart look like? Well, this is being open to learn, discover, and to ask the living God to open your eyes to soften it. To soften it. So he says in Proverbs chapter 3, one that maybe many of you have memorized. If you've grown up in the church, you've memorized Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 possibly. But let's read down to verse 8. It says this, trust, just slowly listen to this. I know it may be super familiar, but take away that familiarity and imagine reading this for the first time. Trust in the Lord and all with all your heart, like everything, everything you have, trust in Him. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He, God, will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be aware. Be aware of any evil in you or any unbelief in you and repent, confess it to the living God. Hand it over to him. Look at verse 13. I'm calling this be accountable. But we've got be aware, now be accountable It says this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a call to be the church, right? To be the church, to to love one another, to care for one another. All the one another's in scripture are wrapped in this one and we are called to do it daily. I don't know how this has looked, but I would love this to be the church. I'd love this to be the church, that we'd know each other intimately enough that we would be able to call one another deep and deep, have a deep conversation and to intimately know one another deeply enough that we would know the battles of our hearts, that we'd know the temptations that we battle with, that we might be able to pray with one another, that we might be able to encourage one another. This is what it's calling to. Exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. They have enough worries of its own. What is today? How are you doing today? And this is the church. We ought to love one another in this way. It is to be done together. This is what church is. Relying on one another for strength, for encouragement, and also for rebuke. And we desperately need this for one another. Why? Why do we do this? So that we don't get hardened by sin. You see that right in the text. We need this. We need one another so we don't get hardened by deceitfulness of sin. See, sin will come at you every single day. If the church, if your brothers and sisters, and if you too aren't going at one another every single day, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, 
Sin is. Sin will continue to challenge you every single day to lead you, to deceive you into sin. See, we need to be daily speaking truth towards one another, checking in and praying for one another as we together wage war against the flesh. And this is what we're going to talk about a little bit in our community groups this week. We want to challenge, and how can we do this? How can we do this for one another? How can we encourage one another and live this verse out? Because it seems like this is one of the ways we can battle the sin in our lives. And then lastly here, verse 14. We have, be aware, be accountable, now be in awe. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So a few things. We share in Christ. You hear that? We share in Christ. Like we, like make it personal. I share in Christ? Really? Like how sweet is that? Like that, that line right there ought to fire you up. Like we share in Christ. This is the identity piece. Those who have confidence, boast, and have hope in Jesus share in all things Jesus. And as we learned in, at the end of chapter 2, and please go reread it, we learn that we have now freedom in Jesus. We, he undergirds us in our temptation. He frees us from slavery and the fear of death. He gives us eternal life in him. Like it's such a sweet, sweet promise that we have in Jesus. And now it's we share in him. We share in him. Church, this confidence must come because of how big and mighty our understanding of God is. And we get that by reading the word and asking the Lord to open our hearts to who he is and who we are and then what is our purpose. See, our confidence comes from the awe of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What he has done for you. What he has done for me. Make it personal because that is a, he is our personal God. I want to close with this verse here in Romans chapter 6, 5 through 11, just to show you that this idea of we share in Christ is actually everywhere. It's everywhere in the scripture, but this one is one of my favorites. In Romans 6, 5 through 11, it says, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that fleshy nature that keeps coming back for you, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when sin is coming and encroaching at your door, you are dead to that. Just suppress that. Suppress the sin. Suppress the evil. Seek Christ. Put away. Over and over, Paul uses language like put off the old nature. Put on the new. Rather be, don't be slaves to unrighteousness, be slaves to righteousness. And he's saying it over and over again. And again, here in Hebrews, the author is pointing us back to Christ. We share in him. Don't forget this. Exhort one another in this, that you may not be deceived by sin any longer. 
Keep battling for Jesus Christ. It is his strength. It is his sacrifice. It is his grace. It is his mercy. It is his love that we can put our confidence in. It's nothing that you can do to gain anything. It's all him. And that is such good news. So this present exhortation is no different from others. Be aware. Be accountable. Be in awe of Jesus Christ. And it all ties together with the other two that you hear and believe him. Hear and believe him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you that it is, it is a hard word. We need those hard words in our lives to be reminded of past rebellion of our forefathers, those that have gone before us and have chosen sin over the almighty God. Lord, please help each one of us here today and those that are listening in. Help us surrender those things that are opposite you, that are in rebellion of you, that really are all about worshiping our self-motivations, our self-desires, our self-needs, and help us purge those out of ourselves that we might rely on you for what you have done, your amazing grace, your amazing love, and your assured promises. Help us, Lord. We need you. And as we sing, may we glorify your name for what you have done for us. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.